We remain standing for the reading of the gospel, the 18th chapter of John, beginning at verse 33. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you're a king? Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What's truth? After he'd said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him. This is the word of the Lord. Our children are now dismissed for Children's Church. I love all the sequins and the energy. <laughs> Dolores Williams, teacher at Union Theological Seminary, remembers Sunday mornings growing up in the South in her church. She talks about how the minister would shout out, Who is Jesus? And the choir responded in loud, strong voices, King of kings, Lord Almighty. And then another voice, frail and small would sing, Poor Little Mary's Boy. Who is Jesus? And the choir, King of Kings, Lord Almighty. Poor Little Mary's Boy. And back and forth they would go. And Dolores Williams says it was the African-American church doing theology. On this Jesus Reign Sunday or Christ the King Sunday, we bristle at the word king a male authoritarian image, and yet here, in this passage I read, the king is in handcuffs. The images clash. One is big and powerful and authoritarian, the other is trussed up like a Christmas tree thrown onto the roof of a car, impotent and poor. The images clash. Yesterday we did that delightful trip under lights under Louisville, And one of the scenes was Bethlehem, Prince of Peace is born, followed immediately by a tank firing shells. (laughs) The images clash. Indeed, throughout this whole chapter in John's Gospel, the images clash. It starts in a garden, a meeting place of beauty and serenity, and quickly gives way to lanterns and torches and weapons and soldiers led by a trusted disciple, now turned traitor, and the tension is just palpable. The peace has morphed into tension. And Simon Peter imagines himself a champion of the people, a defender of Jesus, and he draws his sword to lash out, but he doesn't strike at a soldier who might also have a sword and some training. But he cuts off the ear of a slave 
one who you would think his life could not get any worse, and then it does. And you would think the scene would erupt into violence, but Jesus stops it and heals the slave. He quietly goes with this guard to the high priest, to their court. He's answering questions when one of the guards just steps up and punches him in the face. He has just rebuked violence, and now he's the victim of violence. The images clash. Outside, Simon Peter, who has sought to defend Jesus, now warms his hand by the fire, and the self-preservation impulse takes over, and I don't know who Jesus is. Never met the guy. Wouldn't know him if I saw him. Inside, the religious elite want to put Jesus to death. Never mind one of the principles of the faith is you shall not commit murder. They can't do it themselves, not legally, not under the Roman system, so they want to take him to Pilate because Pilate has that authority. And then amazingly, they're not going in there. It's a secular place. We might be defiled by that. As if seeking the blood of an innocent does not defile. And Pilate, he's the very picture of a cynical politician. Wavers, goes back and forth, but basically says, Jesus is innocent, but you can still hang him if you want to. All the images clash like a demolition derby. And we are left with poor little Jesus boy in handcuffs. And yet, one of the biggest clashing notes here is that John's gospel presents Jesus as somehow above all of this. He's composed and cool and unafraid. But you see, John is not trying to write a biography of Jesus. That's for the other gospels. He's writing a theology book with stories to illustrate what he means. And for John, the whole issue of Jesus being the Son of God is decided. And he goes through this whole story as the Son of God and very much aware of himself in that way. But maybe it speaks to all those clashing images and voices within us. Simon Peter speaks for a lot of us who want to wield a sword but then awkwardly deny. And the high priest is like a lot of us who want to defend religion but mostly want to defend our power, but cannot go to an unholy place. We often struggle with images we have of ourselves and with who we really are. And the issue becomes, who defines us? What defines us? So many voices chiseling at our souls, making us competitive shoppers on Black Friday, Stampeding rioters by 10 a.m. Voices whispering that you really should sculpt your body like a model until your self-absorption ruins your relationships. Or someone tells us that those who disagree are our enemies and we no longer see our neighbors. Our, Our images clash. So who defines my life? Who defines yours? Jesus has this marvelous statement here. For this I was born. 
Mark Twain once said that the two most important days in a person's life are the day they're born and the day they understand why. Jesus knows why. It's presented as a conclusion. For the rest of us, it's a struggle. At Thanksgiving, my son-in-law's niece was there, a college sophomore, and I asked what I always ask college students, what are you majoring in? She kind of shrugged. I haven't decided yet. Have an idea what you'd like to do in life? Not sure. And then we joked about, well, you've got two more weeks to decide about the rest of your life. But I'm also aware that in school, we push children younger and younger to decide about which course, which track, which way are you going. And those decisions can impact a person's long-term life. I have a dear friend in Missouri who's told me about a recurring dream. He says it's kind of unnerving because it comes at different times, maybe a few months apart, maybe even a couple of years apart, but the details are always the same. But what most disturbs him is the feeling he has for days afterwards. He feels like he's in this funk and he's sad because he feels like he missed something important. He missed something important with his whole life. Patrick Palmer a Quaker writer, tells of realizing in his early 30s that the life he was living was not the same as the life that wanted to live in him. And at moments, he would catch a glimpse of his true life, hidden like a river beneath the ice. Jesus is already there, but invites us to this place that we know, for this I was born to testify to the truth. It's interesting, and as I read this, it seems to me that the, the power shifts. Pilate's got the political power. He holds life and death in his hands, but he's busy trying to find a way out, busy trying to find a political solution, acknowledging the innocence of Jesus, but hitting some resistance. And throwing up his hand, you can still hang him if you wish. He denies the truth of himself in that process. He doesn't seem to know why he's on earth. And the more I read this passage, the more I get the sense that John intended to show us this Jesus who gave him the opportunity to be a better person, to define himself as a person of courage and principle. But he doesn't. It seems to me that the truth Jesus wants all of us to know is who we are. In John's gospel, it's, it's a certainty from the beginning. This is God's son. But the certainty God wants us to know is that we are the offspring of God, the daughters and sons of the Most High. You've probably seen the, the Lion King trailer, the new movie. I love the first one. I'm sure I love this one. I love this scene with little Simba being held up, little lion cub, still not sure of who he is or what he's about, wondering how far it is to the ground because he's being held up and he's presented as a king. He's not sure what it is to be a lion yet. All he can see is his little paw prints inside the larger print of a full-grown lion. 
I like the image, but I'd like for us to think of God holding us, not facing that way, but facing God and hearing your royalty, you're mine, you're from my royal blood, you are my daughter, you are my son, you are loved. Knowing that love in every fiber of our being, in the depths of our souls, in all those dark places we fear talking about, knowing that, there's this possibility to be constant in what life brings to us. Jesus is constant throughout this. The, the terrible time in the garden, the slaves here being lopped off, the brutal interrogation. In all of this, he lives and responds gently and with kindness. He treats the slave like he matters because slave lives matter. I don't know about you, but I struggle to live into this. I struggle to live up to this. But to be sure, let's just just be kind of elite folks ruminating about it. There are some whose lives are, they're enslaved. Everything's determined for them. And there are some who are refugees who depend upon the mercy of others. And there are some who are children who have parents who are terribly broken themselves. But to us, to us, there is this truth to which we are called. It's about how to live on this earth out of that sense that we are loved. To act and live as God's offspring. To act to end human trafficking and slavery, the buying and selling of children, women forced into prostitution, and all the other things that hold people down and keep them from being authentically who they are. It's this call to see the sacred spark in everyone. To give back the ability to hear to those from whom it has been taken. To love because we are so loved. Amen.